0: Blog Talk Radio. It's the Speeway Show,
1: an idea exchange empowering us to live well, live fully, and love deeply. And now, here's our host,
0: Speeway.
1: And welcome to the Speedway Show, an idea exchange empowering us to live well, live fully, and live deeply by improving the quality of our personal, professional, and spiritual relationships. Today kicks off the first in our Career Profile Audio Series. The the objective of the series is to talk to professionals in various careers about how they got where they are, what it took so that we can learn about different professions from the inside. Parents, teachers, caregivers, if you have kids in high school or college, I especially encourage you to share this series with them because too many youngsters today lack positive role models. So let me introduce our guest today. She is Laura Herzog, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Cornell University ILR School. As an advocate for workplace diversity, Laura Herzog has broad experience in facilitating organizational changes that support diversity, investigating and remedying actual and potential hostile work environment claims, and advising employers on how to create more diverse workplaces. Laura, welcome to the SPIWay Show. Hi, SPIWay. Thank you for having me. I'm very glad to be here. So, now, one of the things that makes this show so different from other discussions is our focus on spirituality and our reliance on the Life Manual as a guidepost to living fully and increasing the success of our professional or personal relationships. And, listeners, if you're wondering what the Life Manual is, it is essentially whatever your spiritual manual is that you use. For some, it may be the Bhagavad Gita, the Quran, the Christian Bible, or some other holy writing that speaks to you. And uh, the reason for that is because while expressed in different ways, the underlying truths about living right, living a godly life, tend to be the same. Some of my guests
0: read life manuals, some don't. Um, Laura, I'm wondering, do you actually use a life manual? I do. Um, The main one, I probably use several, but probably the main one that I use is something called the Catholic Women's Devotional Bible. Um, I am Roman Catholic, and it's not only the actual Bible scriptures, but it has some, for every day it has lessons and parables and stories and thought-provoking ideas to connect the scriptures to to everyday life in my personal and professional lives. And I find it very helpful and and a great source of support and thought-provoking for me. Oh, sweet.
1: So do you find that actually, it sounds like, you found it actually quite useful in your professional life as well?
0: I do. I think it mm-hmm. addresses issues of ethics and how you treat people and how, as a supervisor, how I treat the people who work for me as well as my clients and uh, how to sort of live life in general in a way that's ethical and the way I can be proud of and that my child can be proud of me. Oh, sure. Sure. So now tell us about your
1: position, your current position today. What does it entail, and what does a typical day in the
0: life of Laura Herzog look like? It entails a lot of different things, which makes it difficult to describe a typical day. The Mm -hmm. bulk of my job is either doing training myself or supervising uh, adjunct faculty, that work for me, um, doing training for employers on how to have um, diverse workplaces, diverse in thought, diverse in practice, and really workplaces that are just not thinking about how do we avoid getting sued, but how do we really maximize the potential for all of our employees and make sure we're getting the most out of our employees by getting rid of any kind of organizational barriers to access and inclusion. Um, so I may be teaching one day. I may mm-hmm. be speaking with a client about how to design a program that's customized for their particular needs. So, you know, teaching a class to a corporation is different from teaching a class to the diversity officers from a university, for example. Um, I may be developing the material, doing research. I try to pull a lot of things, a lot of knowledge from the business world, which I've been a part of in the past, into my academic work, to uh, which is particularly useful for my corporate clients. Um, or I might be doing work that I do in my private capacity, in my consulting work where I'm going into organizations and either giving uh, speeches about diversity and inclusion in the workplace, how to manage different aspects of diversity in the workplace, um, investigations if they have concerns about problems that are going on in the workplace or are hoping to avoid problems. So one of the things I like about my job is that it lets me exercise my legal background skills as well as other skills that I've developed over the years.
1: Okay, so in your teaching capacity... Who are your
0: students? Are your students the students of the ILR? No, my students are. It, it varies. I And this semester I am teaching. Um, I'm guest lecturing in a class called the Gendered Workplace, and I'm teaching mm-hmm. a class on finding mentors and sponsors in the workplace for young men and young women who are students at the ILR school. Um, but the primary work that I do is with professionals. So it's continuing professional education, both for people who are, doing diversity work and for people who are managers and who want to have the competency of being managers of a diverse workplace and being effective in that work.
1: Oh so um we're gonna digress for a minute because I just had a thought. So at, <laughs> at my at my job for example, we are putting together we're in the starting um, we're in the beginning uh, sort of process of setting up a women uh, leadership network. Mm-hmm. And it is probably the first, well, I know it is, the first sort of social network within the organization. And one of the things we've been toying uh, toying with is the idea of bringing in external speakers. Mm-hmm. Is it, when, when I listen to you talk, it sounds like that would be the sort of thing that, you do in your consulting work where we'd reach out and we'd say okay Laura we are having a two day summit for you know it's hosted by the Women Leadership Network but we're going to invite all of our uh, leaders and we would like you to to talk to them about you know gender issues, diversity issues, racial diversity, how do we get better at um, inclusion as an organization is that, is,
0: is that the sort of thing that you're that do? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's exactly the kind of thing I do. You know, an organization might have me come in and do exactly that, talk about these issues. I'm actually doing that for a large legal organization um, in a couple of months. Um, they might say to us, you know what, we're starting this network and we've never done this before. Can mm-hmm. you come and do a presentation about employee resource, employee resource groups and best practices for employee resource groups? Um, you know, it's a variety, or can you do a combination of the two? And it varies because sometimes I'll go in and I'll teach a day-long class, you know, 9 to four thirty, nine 9 to 5 class, and sometimes I'll go in and give a two-hour presentation. And sometimes I'll give a lecture, and sometimes it'll be very interactive where I create exercises for people to work through and practice the skills that we're talking about. It really depends on what the client's needs are and how much time they have to devote to my presentation. And, again, that's one of the things that's interesting about my job. It's a little bit like when I was a litigator, where you have to learn something new each time you take on a new case, yep. you have to with these work with this work, you have to figure out what does this particular client need, what pieces of this program are going to be most useful for this client, and how can I help that client okay fun. so as
1: <laughs> yeah <fun>. <laughs> <laughs> so as you're you know as you're talking you know the the goal of the career series is really to 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 highlight a particular career as well as talk about what it takes to get there so tell us a little bit about your educational background and the credentials that you had to have in order to get you know what certainly sounds like a plum job to me as you know as diversity roles go because is that an ivy league university
0: so what did what did you have to do what did you need how did you get there Well, I want to say, first of all, I am a proud graduate of public schools as far as my secondary education. Um, Okay. I grew up in Montclair, New Jersey. I went to Montclair High and went from Montclair High to Princeton University uh, where I got my A, B, in East Asian Studies focusing on Chinese um, and went from Princeton on to the University of Michigan Law School. And I was a member of the Law Review there and went on from there. And in a way, my first job was continuing my education. I was a clerk for a federal judge in the Southern District of New York, the Manhattan Federal Court, which is the busiest, um, one of the busiest courts uh, in the country and has some of the most interesting work. And after that, I went and I was an associate at a large law firm. And uh, after deciding that was not for me, spent some time on the faculty at Brooklyn and NYU Law Schools and then moved into more of a teaching role, more of a teaching and consulting role, and started focusing more and more on the areas of uh diversity. When I was a litigator, I focused primarily on securities law and employment law, and then main, mainly moved to focus on employment law. And that is sort of where I began my path to doing the kind of work that I'm doing now. Um, I was the first director of global diversity at what was then Credit Suisse first Boston, now Credit Suisse, the investment bank, and then was the Dean for Diversity and Compliance at Hunter College, which is part of the City University of New York, another public institution, wow. and then moved on to Cornell in my current role.
1: So with Cornell then, what were the, what would you say were the, were the, you've got obviously a long and extensive um, professional and educational background, but were there um particular things that they were looking for that they found in you that you can point to and say,
0: Well, you know, this was unique. I think that one of the things that made me unique was the combination of practice and theory that I had done academic work. I had taught before I knew how to teach, but I had also <laughs> practiced in the field of uh-huh. employment law. Um and I had taught in the area of diversity and inclusion and I had worked in the corporate sector, the legal sector, and the academic sector, which I think meant they knew that coming in I would be able to sort of uh, connect with a pretty wide variety of clients. Um, I also, you know, going back to the educational issue, I want to make a, a point that I think is important when people are thinking about choices to make about where they want to be educated. It's not just where you go to school, it's what the school and the choices you make, um, how they affect your future, your future options. When I was trying to decide where to go to law school, I was accepted to several law schools, and I almost went to Yale Law School
1: mm-hmm. and decided
0: not to go to Yale because going to Michigan um, meant I would get more financial aid. And going to Michigan and getting that financial aid is one of the reasons I was able to take the prestigious clerkship in the Southern District of New York. Instead of having to skip oh. that developmental phase and go immediately somewhere which would let me pay off huge loans quickly. Yeah. So, and you know, as I think it's, it's clear that my choosing to go to Michigan instead of going to Yale had not, has not affected my career trajectory in any way. In fact, I would argue that it opened more doors for me because the lack of debt allowed me to make career choices that were interesting and developmental instead of purely financial.
1: Oh well, that's such an interesting point and yeah I remember when I graduated from law school I got I went through college on scholarships and I had scholarships for most of law school but when I graduated there were students who were owing you know somewhere in the, na- in the neighborhood of 60,000 dollars just for law school mm-hmm. and one of my um, classmates and I'll never, I never forgot this because it struck me when she said it. She said, "You know what? There are jobs that I cannot afford to take yep. because I have this debt that I have to pay off. And so I have to, in order for me to be able to pay off my loans and afford to live, then I have to set my lower threshold at a certain price point just to be able to make ends meet." And I remember thinking,
0: wow, I never thought of it that way. It's a huge difference. It's a huge Mm -hmm. difference. Just to give you, you know, this was 20 years ago, but I took a clerkship that paid me $28,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And my friends were all going to law firms and making $95,000 a year. They needed to. My parents, thinking I'm crazy aside, um, I had the ability (laughs) to do that and take a job that interested me because I didn't have what would have been... About $90,000 in debt had I gone to Yale instead. Well, that's pretty amazing. So So now... I I think that's an important thing for people to keep in mind when they're making choices. What freedom will this choice allow you and what freedom will it take away?
1: Yeah, because I think oftentimes when people think of where do I go to school, they essentially start with, okay, what's the most prestigious school I can get to? Right. And then there's a feasibility question, right? Can I afford it? <laughs> and then you kind of go back from
0: there. <laughs> yeah, I think that makes sense. I think you're probably right. And it's it's a more complicated question than that. So now historically, one of the complaints that
1: I have heard from prefer- professionals in the de- diversity arena is that too many organizations appoint a person into a diversity-related role. And it feels sometimes like... You know, what they really want to say is, look, we too care about diversity, but those organizations are often unwilling to walk the walk to do what it takes to truly make a positive impact on the organization. So what that means for the person in that role is, you know, they come in and they can clearly see that here are the things that we need to change, here are the things that we need to do differently, here are the things that we should improve. And when it comes to implementation, there's a lot of either sort of, the benign resistance or there's sort of a not nod, yes yes why don't you go back to your office and we'll think about that <laughs> so i'm wondering at cornell or in your career generally have you found this to be the case
0: or is there an
1: increasing seriousness that organizations are placing on this whole question of diversity and inclusion
0: I think it's incredibly organization-specific. Um, I would mm-hmm. say that at Cornell I have clients who ask us to come up with programs for them because they are truly committed to changing their workforce their and their workplace. Um, and I would say that there are other clients who who ask us to do the work that we're going to do and are checking a box. They they want to give training so that if they get sued they can say, look, we did training. Um, I would say in my past career when I have been the chief diversity officer um, mm-hmm. in There have been roles where I felt like I was able to do a great deal and my work was taken very seriously, and I would say that there was one role where I did not feel that that was the case, and once I felt that it was clear that there was only going to be limited movement, I made the decision to leave because I did not feel comfortable representing uh, being essentially a figurehead and being able, allowing the organization to take credit for having checked that box when they were not in fact doing the work that needed to be done.
1: So then the bottom line is as with I suppose any job you really have to be mindful of the environment that you're walking into and that will that and the culture really define how successful you're going to be if what you're really trying to do is to change
0: an organizational culture. I think that's true and I, but I also think that people who take on roles like this um should not beat themselves up if they go into an organization and discover that The commitment that they thought was there is not there. They should not feel foolish or that they wasted their time going because often you can't truly know um, which way an organization is going until you're inside the organization. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's always worth exploring options and seeing where they go. And if it's not something that's a good fit and if it's not something that's being taken as seriously as one would like, then one can make a change. For all the listeners out there who might be interested in pursuing a career related
1: to diversity, equal opportunity, inclusion, share with us, you know, what are
0: the biggest challenges that somebody should be prepared for? I think that one of the things that's very important is, you know, we, we do at Cornell, we have something called the Cornell Certified Diversity Professional Um Program And people come and they take a variety of classes. And some people will take just one or two, but many people who decide to go into the field take the entire certification process because it is not intuitive. Unfortunately, sometimes organizations hire someone and say, well, you look diverse, therefore you (laughs) must know how to figure this stuff out for us. Um, it's a competency. It's a job competency. Um, so it's important to get and demand the resources to get the kind of training that you need to make, to affect the kind of change you're going to be held responsible for making. Um, so, you know, going from being an HR generalist to this area is a very specific, skill-specific uh move and it needs to be given the resources and that would be the next point is um one of the things that we teach in the teach in those classes is asking people to sit down figure out what their goals and objectives are for the coming year and then figure out who is responsible for getting those objectives um met because if you are one person in a 2,000 person organization and you've been given 25 goals to meet and you have no staff you will fail (laughs) <laughs> um and that is not an atypical scenario.
1: Oh well, you know, I have to say, um over the course of my career there have been times when I have been cuz you know, oftentimes and I think this is true of a lot of a lot of black lawyers in particular, you are often the only black lawyer around. And mm-hmm. so I get into these ranks where we're sort of all sitting around the table looking at each other, and I'm the only brown face there, and there is a presumption that I must know things about diversity that I really don't. What? And um, then I have to say, well, you know, I'm a
0: litigation lawyer. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, I don't know do anything, anything about, about In this. my <laughs> previous life, before I specialized in this area, I, when I found myself in exactly that role, I would essentially say the same thing. Nope, no idea. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's there's almost
1: like a surprise. Like, well, surely you know you're, you're black. You must know. I'm like, well, I know I want inclusion, but that's it. So <laughs> I don't much have it. technical competencies around. Let's get a what is in and here tell us what we need to know. <laughs> well, there you go. And I've had to say, you know, in in some organizations, I've had to say, well, okay, understand that there is an entire profession around diversity. So you can't just, you know throw a litigation resource just because, you know, you're black, why don't you figure this out too? It's like, no, I'm just this is a full time job.
0: And I'm somebody I, who is qualified. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean the full time job point is important, I would say, to people who are who are being asked to be tasked with this kind of thing. Um, I did an interview for the New York Times last summer and about mm-hmm. uh minority and women associates, um, and employees in general. How involved should they get in these sorts of initiatives? Mm-hmm. And I said, be careful. Um, don't let yourself get so carried away with being expected to be the go-to person because you're the only one who looks like something that you don't do the job that they're actually paying you for. Right. Um, and don't get so carried away that this is the only thing you do. If you want to do something to contribute to your organization, that's great. Not Nobody else only does things related to their gender or their skin color. Neither you, should you contribute in a variety of ways, Mm -hmm. Um, and think about how this investment is paying off for your career, not just for the organization, because at the end of the day, the organization is not going to thank you because you did all of these sort of general things that they thought you must know how to do. They're going to thank you because you built enough hours and pleased enough clients. That's true, and if that's going to make them make you partner or move up in the ranks of your organization. And so it's important to keep that in mind. Um, if this is not your full-time job, don't let it become your full-time job. Well, and I would suspect that,
1: like anything else, whether you have the actual qualification or not, if you allow yourself to be placed in that role, you will be held to the same standard as somebody who actually did know what they were doing.
0: You certainly will. Yeah. So, so if you, know, you don't know, get the training, Um If you are officially put in that role, make sure you are given the resources to get the training that you need Mm -hmm. so that you will not be set up to fail.
1: Now, your job at Cornell is not the only significant work that you do. You talked a little bit about your consulting, and do I remember that you're also involved in a foundation?
0: Uh, I have been involved in several foundations. I was on the board of the New York Women's Foundation, which does – great work raising money to support charitable organizations that help women and girls in new york city Mm-hmm. um and uh, i'm no longer working with the board right now but i also have worked with the court appointed special advocates which helps uh move children more expeditiously through the foster care system in new york city uh casa is a great organization and they do really good work in helping find children permanent placements either with their families of origin or new families um and you know and i do bar association work as well so i try to do as much work as i can that helps my community um and helps. I have a particular interest in helping children in my community have successful lives and successful futures. And do I also understand that you're working on a book? I am, with all my free time. I am All working. the free time that you must surely have, because <laughs> you know you're not really doing very much in all this other stuff you described.
1: Exactly. <laughs> I am,
0: I'm working on a book um, called The VIP Management System, and it's a slightly different way of looking at managing your employees from a variety of perspectives. This is particularly focusing on generational diversity and managing the four generations in the workplace, but it's it's going to be a little broader than that to help people figure out how to focus on a wide variety of people and focus not only on their sort of social identity diversity, but diversity of thought and diversity of a lot of other things that make sometimes people not understand each other in the workplace and therefore not be as effective. So I'm working on that now and hoping to have that VIP management system out there by end of summer, early fall. So if somebody wants a copy of it, where would they go? Uh, if somebody wants a copy of it, then the, probably the best way is to, I don't know, maybe go to your website where you'll be letting people know once it's out. Well, okay, we'll do that.
1: Um, and also, if somebody is looking for you for consulting purposes, in addition, you know, we're we're um, going to post this audio show on the com and we're also going to post resources um and that will include you know information about you and yes we'll include the book when it's out but um and we'll have links but in addition to that where does somebody go if somebody says boy you know I heard that Laura and she sounds like a wonderful woman I'd really like to talk to her more about consulting with our organization or our group of
0: whatever where do they find you to do that the best way to get in touch with me, and I guess to ask questions as the year goes on about the book as well, would be to email me at lsherzog at gmail dot com. That's always a good way to reach me for consulting opportunities and to find out what else is going on in my professional work.
1: Okay, so listeners, if you didn't get that, it will be available on the dot com, and you'll have a link there where you can go. So now, you know, for the kids that are out there part of the reason I do the career series is because a lot of kids have such limitations in the careers that they have visibility to. So if you're thinking about advising somebody who's maybe in, let's say you've got a high school kid or somebody who's just starting college, what would you tell them about the joys and the
0: whys of why would you get into this career? Um, I think that, frankly... My first career, of course, was as an attorney, Mm -hmm. and I recommend that to people if they like to read and they like to do research, Um, and I think it's a very interesting field, and I think it is one where you learn a way, an analytical way of thinking that can be very useful to you in a variety of fields. So if you like looking at things from an analytical way and solving problems, if you like reading mysteries, things like that, um, Mm -hmm. I think you should look into the law because it's a constant series of solving problems. And then the diversity and inclusion work is, you know, it's something that has to really interest you. You like seeing how people work together, putting together the puzzle pieces of how people can work together, what makes them effective working together, what's standing in their way from being as effective as they should be, and what can you do to help them be more effective. And I think that those, again, I think it's an interesting puzzle to figure out what the problems are and figure out what the solutions are and it's intriguing to look at it and to be able to say to people without judging them, this is something you could be doing differently that would make a win-win for everyone. Excellent. Well, this brings us to the
1: end of our show. Laura, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Very glad to be here. Well, listeners, thank you join us next week and uh we'll be uh chatting on a on a different topic in the meantime as i said throughout the show you can visit com to read more about Laura and her profile and you can get a link to her email where you can contact her and uh keep an eye out for uh when that book comes we're going to uh put it up and uh, we'll probably have it on the homepage so that you know mm-hmm. that it's there And other than that, uh, I encourage you, if you have not, uh, take a look at our new video series. We've got some shows that we are now offering via video. You can go to YouTube and you can run a search for the spu show, and you will see all of the shows that we have on video so far. If you'd like to be a guest, you can visit the website and send me a note, and uh, we will love to have you and consider you on the show. And uh, you can also visit... Uh, our Facebook fan page at facebook.com slash the speedway show or you can follow us on Twitter at the handle the speedway show so until next week this is Speedway saying thank you for joining us and take care of your careers thank you for joining us on the speedway show visit the dot com for content and other episodes join the fan page at facebook.com slash the speedway show and follow speedway on twitter at the handle the speedway show until next week live well live fully and love deeply